Well, here we are again. Let's pray before we get started this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord God Almighty, we do thank you. We thank you, Lord, that we have the ability to come before you in song and worship your name through music, Lord. We're grateful for those that are able to play instruments and sing in tune to lead us in that worship, Lord. And we are grateful, Lord, that you accept our praises. Because we do all of this to your glory, Lord. We do it all to your glory. Everything that we do, Lord, we do to your glory. Lord, I pray that now as we enter into the study of your word, Lord, that you would speak through me, that you would take over this pulpit. This is your word. And I ask for your blessing on it. I ask, Lord, that you would open our hearts and our minds to what it is that you have to say through me today. And I just pray, God, for your your hand in it. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me ask you guys a question or two. The first one is, is why did you come to church this morning? Why did you, or if you're online, why did you decide to click on and join us online? Why did you come? I mean, the weather is not great. Woke up, there was snow on the ground, it was cold. Why did you come? There you go. That's one of the answers. Thank you. The right thing to do for God. That is good. Those are good answers. I would say that, you know, some of you here today would say, and you know who you are, <laughs> that you came because your parents might have made you come, and you like peace in the family, and so you came because you like peace. You may say that of a spouse who might have drugged you here or made you sit on the couch and listen to me talk. Or you may have said that, you know, this is what I always do on Sunday. I come to church. This is what I do. It's part of my lifestyle. And some of you might say something differently, like, I came because I was curious. I need hope in my life, and I heard of Jesus. And so I came here to hear his word and find out about him. And if that's you, then I am grateful that you're tuning in online or you're here this morning because we want you here. That is a great answer to come to church. But I hope that some of us, especially if we're Christians, would say that we came, as Zane said, to worship and praise our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We owe him our worship, just like you said, Dan, because of what he did for us on the cross to save us from our sins. That, those, are great answers. But I also hope that you came to learn more about the truth of Jesus Christ and God's word. We need, especially now, but always need to be fed the truth that can only be found in the word of God. So with that in mind, let me ask some other questions. Now, these questions I'm going to ask you, these are rhetorical questions, so I'm not going to expect you to, to give an answer out because these are questions I'm going to answer as we go along in the message this morning. You know, who is Jesus? You can see why from the first question, that would take a really long time, and so we'll just talk about that after service. But who is Jesus? Is he really God? And if that's what you say he is, how do you know that? Since he's God's son, is he eternal? Was he created like you or I? Is Jesus and his father truly one of one substance in all ways? Or is Jesus just some really cool dude who happened to live on earth at one time teaching people to live in peace and harmony? 
Have you ever thought of where does the doctrine of Jesus' deity, the fact that he is God, where did that come from? In today's message, I'm going to answer these questions, at least I hope so, including the last one. Where did the truth of the doctrine of Jesus Christ's deity, him as God, and being one and the same with the Father, come from? The verses that we're going to concentrate on are going to be found in John 1, 1 through 4, John 1, 14, and John 1, 17 through 18. So if you can find the book of John and go to the first chapter, you're going to be great. You're going to be golden today. Let's read those verses out loud right now. John 1, 1 through 4. A lot of these verses are going to be familiar to us. At least I hope so. And if they're not, we're going to learn about them today and what they mean. So John 1, 1 through 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So who do you think they're saying the word is here that John wrote? Who is the word? You're right. Very good, Chase. Jesus. John 1.14 says this, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then John 1, 17 through 18 says, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, and he has made him known. These verses from the book of John are so meaningful to Christians and can also be very confusing in their precise meaning. But for the sake of our faith and the ability to teach it and preach it correctly, we must understand this text. And for you who may not be a Christian yet, what I would call a pre-Christian, you may not know it, but if you are listening to me right now and you're not a Christian, you will be because God is after you. You would not be here right now. I truly believe that. But these verses for you can be really difficult, if almost impossible for you to understand because you are relying on your own knowledge. In fact, you wouldn't know who the Word was if we hadn't just identified Him. So I am grateful today that we're reading these verses for you. But as we begin to move back into our study in John next week, I thought it would be important for us to revisit the beginning of the book to get the background of it again so that when we pick up where we left off next week, we'd have a good firm foundation to begin with. But today I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to look at these verses from the perspective of one of Christian history's important church fathers, Athanasius. And as much as it is important to study the scriptures, and believe me, it truly is, it is also important to study and hear from those who came before us People who fought the good fight, some even to their death, in order for us to stand in the pulpit and teach sound doctrine. And Athanasius was one of those men. Athanasius was born in 293 AD in Alexandria, which is found in Egypt. That was about 260 years 
after Jesus died and was risen again and ascended into heaven. And he died in 373, so he was around a long time ago. But during his life, Athanasius was a tenacious defender of the deity and the humanity of Jesus. And the fact that they were two separate identities in Jesus, that they were two separate but never crossed. The, Jesus, the nature of Jesus was that he was fully man and also fully God. He argued and put his life on the line for what we know as the Trinitarian doctrine, the idea that God is one, made of three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Athanasius defended the scriptures against false teaching, what we would call heresy, and that heresy during his time was called Arianism throughout his life. Now, just to let you know, this Arianism, and I wasn't going to define it this way, but somebody asked me a question about it, so I thought I should probably point this out. Now, Arianism, during World War II, the Nazis, they had the Arianism. This is not that at all. This is not about the superior race that the Nazis were pushing during World War II. Arianism, as we're going to define it here in a minute, um, is a completely different thing. Athanasius was tenacious in his belief in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but he was not always gracious in his defense of it. And as we go further along in our study, we will learn more and more about Athanasius and what made Athanasius so tenacious to defend the doctrine of the Trinity against Arianism, and more specifically, why the deity of Jesus is so important to stand for during his time, as well as our time today. Second, we will look at what does it mean to defend the doctrine of our faith, and how we can learn from Athanasius to do so with the same tenacity, but with more grace than we may have extended to his opponents. He was known as a fiery person and not the most gracious person even to those who agreed with him. Sometimes not a very nice guy. But no one would ever deny that he loved the word of God and that he would fight for the truth. But before we get started, we need to figure out what is this heresy of Arianism so that we can understand why Athanasius was so tenacious in his fight against it. According to theologian Robert Lethem, Arius was an elder in the church of Alexandria around 318. He advanced the idea that Jesus was not an eternal being, thus not God, not of the same substance as his father. He argued that Jesus was a created being, not begotten, that Jesus was created by the father out of nothing. We would use the word ex nihilo, like the way God created the way Jesus created the universe out of nothing. And so he could not be of the same substance, the same, the Greek word that they use is usia, as the Father, thus not equal in substance or being, meaning he was not originally and eternally with his Father. According to Lethem, Arius maintained that Jesus at one point did not exist that he only exists now because of the will of his Father. Heresy. False teaching. That is not true. And we're going to look at how Athanasius proved that and why that's important for us today. This word usia that we just talked about is going to be a very big word for us as we go forward. So why does this matter? 
Because if Jesus was not God, then all the work he did for us on the cross by shedding his blood, dying, would mean nothing. Because only the incorruptible can save the corruptible. Jesus had to be God. We would still be lost in our sins and thus destined to an eternity in hell. He could not have been able to be the perfect lamb, the propitiation for our sins, because all people are sinners. Propitiation is a word we've talked about before, but it means atonement. It means that Jesus, as the perfect lamb of God, was the only one who could take the punishment or the payment of our sins on himself so that they are paid in full. Paid in full. Like Jesus said on the cross when he gave up his spirit, it is finished. And there's nothing that we can do more than what he already did on the cross. He would not have been able to satisfy God's wrath and take all of our sins. But we know that he is God and that he did do that. Romans 3.25-26, through 26, actually starting in 3.23-26, through 26 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood, there's that word again, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in His divine forbearance, which means his patience or his restraint. He had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. In other words, God restrained his wrath against our sins until Jesus' death on the cross. Then Jesus as God's Son of the same substance as His Father, the perfect Lamb of God, had the full wrath of His Father laid on Him on our behalf. The punishment for all of our sins, past, present, and future, laid on Him. Let that sink in for a minute. And He did that. Those of us who cursed His name, who sinned against Him, he did that out of his love so that we would be redeemed. And we're going to talk more about this in a few minutes, but we can see that this, this Aryan influence, this Aryan heresy, it's relevant even today. We look at the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons and Islam. They all deny the deity of Christ. And when you study their beliefs, you can easily see that they do not believe that salvation comes by, by grace through faith. That Jesus' death on the cross and his shedding of his blood and his bodily, excuse me, his bodily resurrection mean nothing for salvation. They all believe in one form or another that works save people, not Jesus' work on the cross. False teaching, heresies, do not be deceived by them. But we know that Scripture itself, especially the words and works of Jesus, would be worthless if Jesus wasn't God. If we followed that heresy, it would be worthless. The Bible would be untrue. Be assured. 
The Bible is true. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17, a verse that we looked at this morning as another plug for Bible study. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We can and we must trust the very words of God written in our Bibles. And Arius was pushing heresy, false teaching. Athanasius says this about the scriptures. He says, the holy and inspired scriptures are sufficient of themselves for the preaching of the truth. So to follow what we're talking about today, why was Athanasius so tenacious? For the very reason we just spoke about, Athanasius was tenacious regarding his defense because he saw the terrible effect of Arianism on the doctrinal belief of salvation and the forgiveness of our sins. Only God can forgive sins. So if Jesus is not God, then our sins are not forgiven. He could not let this teaching go forward. He took great exception to it. That Arius would insist that there was a time in history that Jesus did not exist. And this became his passion through his whole life. And he fought against it up until his death in 373. And during this time, when this heresy was erupted on the scene around 318, Athanasius was a deacon in the Alexandrian church under Bishop Alexander. He was only 22 years old. So those of you who think that you're too young, God uses youth. God uses youth. Don't let youth stop you. Don't let people say that you're too young. Chase after God and you'll find what he will do for you. He and Bishop Alexander, they pushed hard against Arius. They maintained and fully believed Scripture taught that Jesus was eternal, that he was begotten, not created, meaning he was eternally with his Father at all times, that there was never a time when Jesus did not exist. And this is where the verses that we read at the beginning, John 1, 1 through 4, John 1, 14, and John 17 through 18 come into play. Athanasius maintained that these verses in John's gospel prove the preexistence of Jesus. That there was never a time that Jesus did not exist. Let's look at them again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. We start off with those four verses, and we see that in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God. And in fact, Jesus was, and is, and always will be God. And this became Athanasius' passion. That this teaching must be the true doctrine of the church. Arianism could not win, otherwise we're teaching heresy. And we don't want to teach heresy here either. So we're grateful for Athanasius and his tenacious nature. All things were made through Jesus, and nothing was made without him being involved. 
nothing. Excuse me. <coughs> Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This verse indicates that nothing was in existence in the beginning except God. Except God. And so that means that God is eternal. He was not created. He was around since before the beginning. He is eternal. He has no beginning and he has no end. And we know that he is the creator. And the verses that we just saw said that that Jesus was with God and that he himself was the creator. Nothing was made without him. So Jesus couldn't have been created either. He is eternal. Jesus was with God all the time. There was never a time when Jesus did not exist. And there never will be a time when Jesus does not exist. He was, is, and always will be God. Remember that. Never forget that. Hebrews 1.3 says this. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. We looked at these, this verse a few weeks ago, the last time I preached, actually. And we see that they're talking about Jesus, that he is the exact, he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And when his work was finished, he sat down at the right hand of his Father. Who else would sit down at the right hand of God except his eternal begotten Son? Colossians 1, 15-20 says this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he, Jesus, is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything might be, in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The mirror image of God, the same exact substance of his Father. Jesus, the begotten Son of God, always is and always will be God. I cannot say that enough. Athanasius said this about these verses. The Jesus that I know as my Redeemer cannot be less than God. And then he said this, the self-revealing word, the self-revealing of the word is in every dimension, above, in creation, below, in the incarnation, the coming of Jesus down to earth, in the depth, in Hades or hell, in the breadth throughout the world. All things have been filled with the knowledge of God. You can see how tenacious and passionate Athanasius was. And as we look at John 1.14, we see this. In this word, this Jesus, Jesus, not this Jesus, but Jesus, 
became flesh and dwelt among us. In other words, the incarnation, the incarnate Christ. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And Jesus, the Word of God, God himself, took on a human body. Why? So that he could go to the cross and die on the cross and shed his blood so that we could have forgiveness of sins. And remember, only God can forgive sins. So Jesus had to be God. No, in fact, that's what we're talking about. It's, it's wrong that you think that. God and Jesus are the same. It's one God in three persons. Yeah. Okay. So Jesus came and he revealed the glory of God to us. He came to save his people from their sins and to reveal the kingdom of God to us and to show us the glory of his Father. And then in 117 through 18, John 117 through 18, it says, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, because God is spirit. The only God who is at the Father's side. Jesus, it says, he has made him known, but Jesus is the one. This is why it was so important to Athanasius that the true doctrine of Jesus was preached and taught throughout the church. Scripture taught that this could not be any other way and that Arius was teaching false doctrine. So this battle between Arius and, the heresy, or Arius and his heresy of Arianism started to gain momentum, sadly, and he won many followers. And during this time, the church fathers were still trying to decide on a lot of different things. This was not that long after Jesus had died on the cross and was raised again especially when you think about it in terms of where we are now, 1,700 years past Athanasius' time. They were still trying to figure out exactly what 27 books were going to make up the New Testament. That didn't really happen until the 4th century later on. And in fact, Athanasius, in a letter that he wrote in 367, was the first letter that actually had all 27 books that we find now in our Bible. But it wasn't really officially adopted until after he had passed away. So there was still a lot of debate over doctrinal issues like the Trinity and the deity of Christ. Now this is about 300 years after the last known scriptures that we have in our Bible was written. They were doing some serious digging and trying to figure out what is it that the apostles were trying to teach us in the letters and in the Gospels that they left behind. Athanasius and the Bishop of Alexander, a Bishop Alexander of Alexandria, they vehemently took exception to Arius and his followers, as you can imagine. So the Roman emperor at the time, his name was Constantine, called a council to be convened in Nicaea in 325 AD. And this was called to hammer out this debate between Arianism in Orthodox Christianity to come to a doctrinal agreement and bring unity to the church. Now this council lasted about four weeks and about 230 and 300 bishops attended. 
And what's interesting about this was that Athanasius was only a deacon at the time in this church, and so he was not allowed to attend. But he was funneling information to Bishop Alexander, who was representing the church in Alexandria. So his influence was heard throughout this entire council. Now, what was being debated, you might ask? And it gets a little bit technical, but I want you to see the level of debate that they were having. They were arguing over whether or not Jesus was made of the same substance, if he was not of the same substance, or if he was of a similar substance than his father. There is only one right answer. And by now we should probably know what that answer is. That's right, he was the same substance. In other words, ousius, that word that we talked about before. Now, if he wasn't, then the Arians would have won, right? They would have won out. So this word, this, this thing that, that Athanasius and Alexander and all the bishops that were on their side were pushing was that Jesus was, and this is where it gets a little technical, the word is homoousius, or consubstantial with God, meaning that he was the same exact substance as the Father, meaning Jesus was eternal and God himself. Now at the end of this four-week debate, Alexander and Athanasius, their influence won out. And they came to an agreement, and there was a creed that was created. And we know that as the Nicene Creed. Now the creed originally in 325 has been built upon over time through different councils that came after this one. But if we have a slide, I think we have a slide for the Nicene Creed, if that could be put up. Owen, you have the Nicene Creed? Okay. Let's read this together. This is the creed from 325 A.D. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of all things visible. All right, let's try that again. One, two, three, and let's read it out loud. One, two, three. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begotten from the Father, only begotten, that is, from the substance of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one substance with the Father, through whom all things came into being, things in heaven and things on earth, who because of us men and because of our salvation came down and became incarnate and became man and suffered, and rose again on the third day and ascended to the heavens and will come to judge the living and the dead and the Holy Spirit. Isn't that an amazing creed to read out loud? That is what we believe today. So why is that important to us? This is important to us to see how the early church fathers hammered out the doctrines that we have now because like those people like Bishop Alexander and Athanasius, I am able to, or anyone who stands in the pulpit, to confidently stand here and teach you the doctrine of Jesus' deity. 
What if there wasn't any debate and Arianism won out? What if the church taught that Jesus wasn't God? We wouldn't be able to teach about Jesus providing forgiveness of our sins by dying on the cross because, like we said, only God can, can, can uh, provide forgiveness of sins. If Jesus wasn't God, he couldn't provide us forgiveness. We would not be able to teach the assurance of your faith. You would never know if you were saved because it would be up to you and your works. You would be under such oppression. And like we spoke about earlier, we can see Aryan influence even today with the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons and the Muslims. They do not have assurance of their salvation. Ask them about grace and who Jesus is. And does his work on the cross provide them assurance and forgiveness of their sins? Do they know if they're saved? They can't tell you because they don't know. And I've asked, and they cannot tell me. This is vitally important for us to understand that Jesus is God and that we can have assurance of our salvation. And we can know that our sins are forgiven because Jesus was, is, and always will be God. And here is a striking and frightening statistic that I just found actually last night in the January issue of Table Talk magazine, which is put out by Lingonier Ministries, which is a con Christian, conservative, theological, devotional-based kind of a magazine. And they do a survey every year, and in their state of theology for 2020, they, asked the, they put out a series of theological statements. Some were correct, and some were incorrect on purpose. And they gave these to Christians to respond to whether they agreed with them or not. And this is one that they asked. Listen carefully to this. There is a quiz. Jesus is the first and greatest created being by God. It sounds like it could be true, doesn't it? It sounds like, wow, that's really cool. But based on what we discussed today, would you agree or disagree with that statement? Disagree, I would hope so. I think I made that clear. <laughs> but you might be surprised by this, I know I was. 62% of people responding agreed with that heretical statement. 62% agreed that Jesus is a created being. This is even more frightening. This was given to evangelical Christians in America. 62% of people who go to church believe Jesus is a created being. Heresy, man. That is wrong. Come on. Jesus is not a created being. He is eternal. He is God. He is the one who saves us from our sins. We cannot believe that. Athanasius had a little bit of an influence on me. We should be concerned about this. And the blame comes from us as leaders and pastors that we have not made this clear. But it also lies on people by not reading and studying your Bible. There is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, which comes with a responsibility to be in the Word of God and figure out who your Savior is. We must repent 
And they ask for God's forgiveness for our ignorance of his word and who he is. So Bishop Alexander died in 328. And Athanasius, at the age of 30, became the Bishop of Alexandria. And he continued to fight the influences of Arianism in his, enti- <coughs> excuse me, in his entire life up until his death in 373. In fact, Athanasius was exiled five times in his life from Alexandria because of his hardness against the doctrine of, or the false teaching of Arianism. He was known as a fiery person and not a really nice debater. He was not gracious. So we could say that Athanasius was tenacious, but not very gracious. That helps you remember. It helped me. Athanasius was tenacious, but not very gracious. But no one could argue his tenacity for God's word and his willingness to stand up for the truth. So what do we learn from Athanasius? What does any of this mean for us? Well, for Matt and I, or anyone else who stands in the pulpit, this means that we have an obligation to you and to our Lord to continually study and learn and understand God's word and the doctrines he teaches. We must remember that we sit under the word of God, that we are under its authority and influence on our thinking and our teaching and our preaching. And that is without question. We owe it to you to bring every Sunday and every time we teach from the scriptures to preach and teach the truth to the best of our knowledge and ability and by the prayers that we ask for insight from the Holy Spirit. And if we don't do that, we shouldn't be here. And I mean that. We are to be as tenacious as Athanasius for the truth. But for you, while you're not escaping this, this means that you need to listen to what God says through us, through our teaching and our preaching of God's word. And you are to read for yourselves and understand it and ask questions. Be curious about it. And then apply it to your lives and live it out. The Word of God should be the main influence on your lives and your thinking. The decisions that you make should be based on what you learn in the Word of God. If you have any questions or you don't understand anything while you're reading it, write them down. And then ask Matt, myself, or Stephen, or anyone else here that you might trust to answer them. There are no dumb questions. None. There's only people who don't ask dumb questions. Just know that we don't know everything. This Bible is a huge book with many things that we are still learning ourselves. But I guarantee you this, that we will help you try and find the answer. Because you too are to be as tenacious as Athanasius for the truth. And then we're to take the word of God. And we're to tell others about Jesus and who he really is. So that heresy is wiped out. Be confident that the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ is God. And we have ways of helping you learn this. We have, we talked about it earlier. We have Bible study at 845. We're going to be starting a new study here shortly um, on a Tuesday or a Wednesday night. There's opportunities everywhere 
for us to get together. There's men's study on Thursday night. There's going to be a ladies' study starting up on Sunday after church here in February. There's many things that we can do. And, heck, we all have phones. We can text each other. There is no excuse for not being tenacious as Athanasius for the truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you, God, for your word. I thank you for the fact that we truly can trust that you really are God. And Lord, that we can remember that so that we understand that we have assurance of salvation. We know that our sins are forgiven when we confess them before you and give our life to you, Lord, that we are saved not because of anything that we have done, but because of what you have done. That you are the only one, the propitiation of our sins, the only one worthy, the only one who could, the only perfect Lamb of God that could take the sins of this world upon your shoulders on the cross and shed your blood so that we can be saved. We thank you for people like Athanasius and others in church history, Lord, who have come before us, who stood the test and were tenacious. I pray, God, that we would be like them, that we would learn from them, that we would be strong like them, so that in our generation, Lord, we can stamp out heresy. Help us to understand your word as we read it. Help us to love it. Help us to defend it. We praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that was a little heavy.